welcome to episode 664 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good. Um, glad you're starting the show. I feel as though, I say this all the time, but I feel as though it's coming in like extra hot on the last couple episodes to start the show. You're just a big mouth. That's all. I am. I am. Um, you know, I look around uh, the office and wonder about things and then listen to other podcasts and mm. I hear how bad they sound in some cases and how good they sound in other cases and I work very hard to make our show sound good and the one thing it's tough for me to control uh, is the volume of my voice right well you're sounding good to me and I know I'm I'm an 11 on a 10 meter of how good people sound all the time so mm-hmm. yeah. And see, now mid-show, I'm going to check to make sure that it's pulling from the right microphone. <laughs> right. You wouldn't want to do that before we started. Right? No, right. no, 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 no. Um, madness, Joe. Yeah, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about that this week. And I was just telling uh, them, I'm like, oh, we'll do this and do this. And, you know, if you get this type of mic, make sure it's doing this. You never want to have it pull from your laptop mic, your webcam mic, and so on and so forth. And I'm like, oh, that reminds me. My computer just randomly does that. You know, it tries to think that our microphone is uh, a speaker. So then it pulls away from the speakers that are in my monitor to the microphone, and then it moves the microphone to the webcam microphone, which is a microphone, but definitely not as good and definitely noticeable, you know? And I find that surprising. No, no, no. Not that you're discussing podcast sound quality, that you have another friend. That was the most surprising thing. How so. dare you? If we go <laughs> by Twitter, oh, um, I have at as least... As long as you'll be able to talk to him on there. But anyway. <laughs> I could like some of their posts. Well, there you go. Not all of their posts. Right, right. Next, so, not this, not this week's after dark. Next week's after dark, we'll talk right, about. That. We'll get into it. It's super wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. But would you like to know what's on Longbox Heroes this week, Joe? I would. Right in news, San Diego Comic Con mass exodus question mark, and a top ten comic company is going to at least double its output. We know, we don't know, maybe more. Um, conventions. What we read last week, which was both Saga 65 and the new uh, Incredible Hulk number one. What we're looking forward to this week, Todd and Joe have issues, which we're rereading uh, Sandman. And this week it's Sandman 49, which is the end of the brief live uh, storyline. And also a short story from Vertigo Preview and a uh, death, the death pamphlet pamphlet. Um, and finally, at the end of the show, spoiler-filled talk of the uh, first episode of Secret Invasion, which we may not have mentioned last week. So, Yes, um, with the uh, hustle and bustle of discussing the Flash movie, which, have you found out that your uh, opinion lines up with other people, or that uh, you are off base with your feelings on the film? Um, I was at the shop a little bit today, and I talked to Josh. And he was like, "Oh, it's an all right film. It's it, you know, it's 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 got its rough patches." Um, so far, the people I've talked to either say they they liked it, or it was a bit of a mess, but had some fun scenes, which is where I pretty much stand. You know? Yeah, I I, I definitely feel as though 
um, myself, and I haven't talked to Brett about it, but I did get a chance to talk to DJ about it from Wings on Wings, We Need Wrestling. Um, DJ and I are in the same boat regarding the feelings on that movie. Right. Um, I think uh, DJ might have riled me up a little bit more when I saw him on Wednesday. Oh, boy. In regards to it, but I, I definitely feel as though I'm in the wrong about it that I'm seeing a lot more people of varying levels of comic fandom or none whatsoever. Yep. Or like they only watch the movies or, you know, wherever their, their, their entry point is that their whole thing is like little messy, but a lot of fun scenes. Yeah. That's like what I come down. It's not the flash movie I wanted, yeah. but, uh, and it's probably not a flash movie. I'll watch again. There you go. But you know, it's, a, let's put it this way. It's a flash movie. I once saw Joe. Yes. Yes. Uh, so part of the reason, you know, we talk about this sort of stuff is because um, I, I definitely have a feeling that this rolled out um, maybe because Warner Brothers and whatever saw the writing on the wall regarding the upcoming writer strike. Yeah, I think that's a big part of this. Because... Right. And one of the things that is affected most by the ongoing writer's strike is the upcoming San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks as though Marvel, which in turn is Disney, Netflix, Sony, HBO, and Universal are going to have zero presence. Which is uh, crazy. Because... Which is crazy to think about um, the fact that there was so much movie, you know, t- film and TV studio presence at San Diego over the last, like, let's like 10 plus years. I I mean, all the way back to when I went back during the first, just before the first Transformers movie, mm-hmm. it was crazy how much movie stuff they had there. Yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. Um, so it looks like the only things that are for the only thing that's going to be there for certain um, is Paramount is going to have a thing for the new Ninja Turtles animated thing. Right. And it looks like Amazon is going to have something there for the boys. Right. And that's it. I mean, by that time, Good Omens will already have been on, so there's nothing for that. Right. Um, but yeah, that seems... I mean, for the boys, I think you'd have to. Um, but I just... I, I just hope, like we said, it's because of the writer's strike, this is a one-off until the, the strike is over and resolved. Because I I don't know. There's still part of me that wants to see San Diego go back to just a Comic-Con. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I don't think they're going to abandon San Diego forever. So Okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about it. Right. Um, so here's my thought process on this. And obviously we need to... Um, because I assume San Diego this year, 2023, is sold out. I don't know. I guess it would be. I'd have to check, you know. So one would have to assume that those prices, those sellouts were dictated by all the big studios, all the big releases, all the big whatevers. Um, one would have to look to see what the secondary market looks like. Mm-hmm. In regards to people attempting to sell their existing tickets because those presences aren't going to be there. And then right. you have to see what sort of loss San Diego ends up taking 
by not having those folks there, and let's say they sold them at the high ticket price, you don't have all the major studios there, and they still do relatively big because, you know, you don't have to deal with as much um, overhead the weekend of, of like, we need to make sure that we have extra security for you know, stars that are going to be here. We need to make sure that we have extra security to make sure that there's no leaks with people on their phones and so on and so forth. So one has to guess that those are probably savings and costs that San Diego is not going to have to, you know, take care of in three weeks. Right. Right. So then let's say all of that happens and they see that like, okay, we're seeing either no change up or down in what our, you know, end of the weekend profits are, or maybe we see a little bit of an uptick, or maybe we see a downtick, but not as much as a downtick as we were expecting. And then they say, well, you know what? Let's try it again next year. Let's skim the prices down a little bit because we're not going to have all the big high ticket people here. And then let's maybe, and again, I, this, maybe this wishful thinking on my part, where we're going to maybe, you know, not n- in one year's time, but maybe in a five-year plan to start walking back what San Diego used to be, or what San Diego has been for the last 15 years, walking it back to what it was, you know, back when they had the one-page black and white huh. ad and previews and you can get your entire weekend pass for under 80 bucks. Right. Um, see, I'm doing a little, like, looking up as we're doing this. Um, according to the news I found, San Diego Comic-Con sold out in November of last year on the first day the tickets went on sale. Sure. So that sells out. Now, I'm actually looking up if San Diego Comic-Con tickets are refundable, but um, when it comes to New York Comic-Con, which for the first time I don't think sold out in a long, long time last year, um, with New York, and I don't have the, the, the information for San Diego, there's no refund. So when those tickets are sold out, the money goes to the house. Take it to the pay window, Joe. It don't matter. With New York, if you want to sell your tickets... You're not supposed to, but you're supposed to go through new, like uh, Read Pop's hub. And There's they have ways to do it. It's convoluted, but yes, right. I mean, people sell their tickets, obviously. Um, but so I look at it as this way: if they sold out and those tickets are non-refundable, they don't care. Next year is when they find out whether or not they have the problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, that because, makes a little bit more sense because the butts are in the seats. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if it affects next time, then you got to change stuff. And that's a variable um, that I don't know. But I have a feeling it won't because people are going to want to go. And I do feel that this was a one time off thing, not counting the year that, you know, the pandemic happened. But I do think that they'll be back because it's too big of a uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, a push for all the movies and stuff like that. Well, okay, and I get where you're coming from there, but over the last couple years, we've seen more and more events pop up to kind of take a little bit away from San Diego, whether it be South by Southwest, whether it be the Disney 23 thing that they do, where they announce all of their stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So you get the big announcements for Marvel, Disney, whatever, at their own thing. 
Uh, you see more and more folks go to South by Southwest or whatever it is. So San Diego still has some of the big announcements, but they don't get all the big announcements like they did for a period of time. And I'm with you in regards to that's money that was given to those folks nine months before the actual date of the event, Mm -hmm. right? You say butts in the seats. I say whatever the opposite of butts in the seats are, if these people don't ask for a refund or they don't go through the channels to do the resale thing, Mm -hmm. and you have to imagine that there's people who probably just like eat that ticket and say, I'm not going. Right. Because I was going to hope to see about like information about the Twilight relaunch or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And now none of that's going to happen. Um, a lot of times in wrestling, I'll I'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, the house is looking a little light today. You know, it looks like it's under X, right? And I'm like, well, how many tickets did you sell? And I'm like, well, we sold this many tickets. It looks like a lot less than that many people out there. And I go, they didn't ask for a refund, did they? No. I say sometimes the optimal show is they buy the ticket and don't show up and don't ask for a refund, right? Right. Because you don't have to deal with them individually. You don't have to worry about them taking up space and crowding the people that actually showed up. But if you buy a ticket and don't show up, you know, it's, that's better than uh, the butts already in the seat. Because then, the you know, maybe somebody could put their feet up on that seat. Yep, uh, it's called the poor man's first class, right? There you go. <laughs> right? But I just looked up Comic-Con. There's a chance to get your tickets refunded, but they say they're not refundable. But there's like, ah, you could put in a, a request form. So I went to the request form, and it's like submissions are closed. The deadline for a chance at a refund was May 12th, which was long before all the studios pulled out. So, but I'm going to say this, the studios could go away as long as the exclusives stay at San Diego Comic-Con and the giveaways and the blah, blah, blah. It don't matter that con because there are people that are there for, oh, let's maybe see Chris Evans, you know, pushing Captain America 7 or, or whatever movie. That's great, and I'll see the test footage, blah, 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 whatever. But to get those exclusive figures and Funko Pops and this, that will never change because that's where the money is at. The enjoyment's at the panels. The money is in the merch. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. So we we shall certainly see if the uh, writer's strike is going to be uh, a change for the better or for the worse for uh, San Diego Comic-Con and maybe other Comic-Cons uh, going forward, you know? Yep. Um, so another thing that Todd mentioned at the top of the show, of course, was uh, Valiant. Um, you know, Valiant is a comic company that's been around since the early 90s, still kicking They've gone through multiple boom periods and bust periods, and they're still hanging in there. But some would say these days just barely, um, as for the better part of 2023, they've only been putting out one book a month. Right. Uh, But it looks as though with these September solicitations, they have more than one book a month. Um, But it looks as though they are publishing books from other companies um two other companies specifically one called fair square comics and another one called alien books um they have a bunch of different little comics that are going out and whether they were like smaller publishers in the green section of the previews catalog but the fact that valiant is putting them out 
Um, there's no discussion of whether or not like these companies are becoming part of Valiant or whatever it is. But for the month of September, at the very least, they are being published under the Valiant umbrella. Right. Um, now, it's very strange for Valiant to be popping up or picking up these other uh, things. And it's both individual, you know, it's both uh, single issue comics and some of their back catalog as well. Um, but Valiant has a pretty robust, um, you know, character base in and of themselves. And I remember, you know, pre pandemic, uh, right when Bloodshot came out starring Vin Diesel, yep. there was discussion of like this whole big shared universe that they were going to do in the films and everything. And, yep. you know, we're however many years on with that and that none of that has even been discussed, let alone seen the light of day, uh, in the last three years, you know? Yep. I think it's all going to turn around when that Russo brother quantum and Woody TV show finally comes out, Joe. Yes. Remember when I was told not to ask about that many years ago? At New York I do. So I don't, I just think since I guess like that Chinese company bought them and stuff like that, and they were going to make the movies, I don't know, something went sideways there. And I'm hoping, uh, that, you know, we can get back to, because I was never the biggest Valiant fans, but like you said, they don't have the deepest bench, but they have a bench. Yes. So, like, use, get those characters out there, man. I don't know. They are characters that are recognizable and already exist in the comics under a shared universe. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're doing little to nothing with them, you know, makes me think that, like, y- you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we got uh, in news this week. Of course, there's conventions this weekend as well. Uh, I'm assuming most of these are not affected by the writer's strike, but you never know. Uh, there's the there's a Comic-Con in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Ooh. Uh, the Hershey Comic-Con, very straightforward. A lot of classic creators from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s are going to be there. Uh, Roy Thomas, Howard Chaikin, Al Milgram, Scott Hanna, Bob Budiansky. And uh, lots of other local folks. And I'll say this, if you're in the area, uh, you know, it's uh, close by the park, you know, uh, it's a nice day outside. Go uh, take a day at the convention and go go uh, ride some uh, roller coasters, you know. Yep, and get me one of those uh, candy bars that you can make, and I'll give you the ingredients I want. They have a thing there where you can make your own Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Ooh. And when I say Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, it's the size of a of wagon like a, wheel? It's the size of like a pie tin. Oh, but thrice as thick. Oh my goodness. And like it's this hard out listen, Todd, we're gonna talk we're gonna become a food podcast here. But um you like get to create what you want in it, all the sorts of toppings and whatever, and you know, what sort of chocolate. And when we were in New York last summer, um, right off Times Square, there's like a mini um Hershey store where you were able to do the same thing there as well. Hmm, I might be near that area in October. <laughs> it's 20 bucks, but it's worth it if you're a Reese's Peanut yeah. Butter Cup fan. And you know what? It is especially uh, worth it if you're borderline diabetic, Joe. They're, right. you got to hey, push or, you over or, the finish line. You know? Or you don't go to a doctor and you don't know, right? You know what? Uh, that's my plan. Yeah. Tell that doctor... You have well. to go to the doctor, though. You know, you you have a pre-existing condition. Yeah, I've got a moderate to severe handsomeness. <laughs> <laughs> the needle is pinned at days, right? Right. Uh, they told me uh, no cure. Sadly, I'm cursed with it for the rest of my life. <laughs> 
So uh, that's one convention. But of course, uh, we also have Fan Expo Denver. And uh, as we always say here, you know, these these conventions are typically miserable failures, Mm -hmm. only kept aloft by the Orlando one. All these other ones are lost leaders, you know. Yeah, terrible news, you know. But when I look at the lineup for this, um, I don't know. I think the person who said that might have um, been Rocky Mountain High. There you go. <laughs> uh, it is Denver, sure. So um, comic creator-wise, you've got Jim Lee, Andy Kubert, Mark Silvestri, uh, Patrick Gleason, Zeb Wells, Frank Cho, Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, Steve McNiven, Tony Harris, um Tom Grummet, Jackson Lanning, a new friend of the show, Jeremy Adams. Yep, you made a friend, Joe. I did make a friend. And then on the media guest side, batting down the hatches, ladies and gentlemen, Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio, which I like that Daredevil package uh, plan that's going out there, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Raimi, John Barenthal, Christopher Lloyd, Stephen Amell, Denny Trejo, Henry Winkler, uh, Christina Ricci is, uh, gonna be there if you need to borrow the copter for the weekend. I'll just say, hit me up, Christina. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Hayden Christensen is gonna be there. I think oh. he's, uh, Darth Vader, right? Yeah, or at least Anakin. Sure, he's our generation's, uh, Darth Vader. <laughs> yes, the definitive Darth Vader. There you go. And then the... National Lampoon's vacation has ex- uh, uh, opportunity has extended. Um, previously, it was just Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, and Randy Quaid. Earlier in the year, they added Christy Brinkley to it. Right. This time, they're adding the kids. Dana Barron, who, again, I'm sure she's a nice girl, but I don't think she's done a ton outside of this. But also Anthony Michael Hall as well. <sighs> Just getting crazy, Joe. It's like all of the alive principal cast of this movie are out there, you know? And, like, that's pretty crazy, you know? Right. You know, you got to get deep. You got to get Juliet Lewis on this. You got to get, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, who was the guy? Wasn't the kid from uh, Big Bang Theory on it, too? Right. Those were different Rusties and different uh, Audrey's, yeah. right? Yeah, get them all. Do all four movies. All the way down. Get the get the, the blackjack dealer, though I think he's dead. Again, I said all of the alive principal cast, you know? I, I know you said that, but I'm trying to remember if he's alive or dead. It's a game I play, but... Okay. It's a game I play every morning. Uh, <laughs> yep. See the big Hershey cup when I eat it. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so the links to those conventions are in the sh- uh, show notes to every single one of these episodes, as long lo- as well as information about soon to be named network.com at soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Anytime any of the shows in the network go live or any folks from those shows go on other shows, you can find out about it at their individual RSS feeds your podcatcher, their individual sites and social media, or the one-stop shop, which is soon to be named network.com. And that includes this show that you're listening to right now, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Final Wrestling Place, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Wings on Wings, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, and I always forget because it's new and it's on like a weird schedule, uh, but Young Ed Show, Hiya Bussy! 
Young Ed doesn't listen to this show, but uh, it was just his birthday the other day, and he's going to see his favorite band this week. So uh, it's a quite the week for Young Ed. If we can get an exactly. episode of the podcast to come out this week, I can put the uh, date on that $100,001 check that he gets every episode mm-hmm. and send that out to him in the, uh, in the post. Right. What, y'all don't like Ed? Everybody likes Ed. That's what I say. You may not understand them, but you like them. Right. Uh, be sure to check out some of our other friends and the stuff that they're up to in and around the internet. Uh, go check out Mike Sterling's blog at ProgressiveRuin.com. Go check out our friend Kevin's blog at MaskedLibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter is still available as an a la carte item through the Indiegogo. Uh, hopefully we'll get information about the next issues of Jupiter as well in the near future. I think he had just posted some stuff about the process and shipping materials. So I, I have a feeling they're getting ready to be on their way to us here, uh, in the very near future. Uh, you can go check out Chris Runt's Fortress of Comics News podcast. And while you're over at the site for that, you can pick up a copy of his self-published comic, Battle Monsters. You can go check out our good friend Dave of the band Cave People. Uh, he and artist <laughs> Rose Sovia put together a self-published comic called Keeper as well, which you could find out information about at keepercomic.bigcartel.com. You can go check out our friend Becky's uh, original art, uh, commissions, process, prints, and all the other stuff that she does at her social media, which is linked up in the show notes here as well. And if you already have not done so, be sure to order your exclusive store cover of Titan Comics Conan the Barbarian number one uh, featuring our comic book shop, Comics on the Greens, own personal, what would you call Max? The mascot? The, the dog that lives at the store, what would you call him? Well, I know he's quality control and security, gotcha. but he's the most beloved worker at Comics on the Green. There you go. Uh, so he has made it onto a cover, uh, a store-exclusive cover of Conan the Barbarian, number one, that's coming out at the end of July. Uh, art on that cover by Mark Schultz of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs and so much more. Uh, pre-order your copy today, and the link to do so is in the show notes here as well. Yes. Let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? Uh, I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which is the new Incredible Hulk number one, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Nick Klein. Um, the book starts out with some you know people uh, a year ago robbing a, like a tomb kind of a thing and in there there's these giant creatures and they're like ah there's but there's no gold or money so let's get out of here um and they end up getting possessed and the thing that will be a reoccurring theme through this issue is they get possessed by these monsters and they say because the green door is shut which if you remember al ewing's uh immortal hulk that has something to do with that that we can you know the uh i could free all the brothers and sisters kind of the deal um cut to what's going on now um uh, bruce banner's kind of you know on the run as the hulk is and he's kind of trying to keep a low profile but uh with the same people who maybe rob the tomb uh possess people and are like following him and talking to him and he's like leave me alone uh i'm trying to you know control it things aren't what you what they seem with me and the hulk 
and he's off, you know, running around and kind of going off. Uh, you know, he can't remember when he when he busts stuff up as the Hulk because of this. And then we get uh, introduced to a new character. Is her name? Her name is uh, Charlene or Charlie. I got, I got confused. Uh, Charlie. Um, and she's this uh, young girl who's trying to get out of the town that the Hulk is in by fixing the car that was left to her. But her father's a bit, you know, a drunk and kind of abusive. And she wants to leave. So he's comes out and sees her and she takes off in the car. And then through a series of events, these kind of like converge in the same forest that the Hulk says, I, I did the thing with hulk in space he doesn't say that so much but i had him controlled and now he's out and he's mad at me and he wants me to uh take he wants to take control of me forever kind of he wants to be out all the time and the monster's like we don't care you know we're coming for you now the green door is closed um the young girl has it out with her father as this is going on she may have rage issues and rightly so and i think she's gonna play a big part in all this but uh in the end, um, the, these people are of the mind that now is the age of monsters. We're going to free all the monsters. First, we kind of have to take care of business with the Hulk. I enjoyed this issue. It looked beautiful. Nick Klein is one of my favorite artists, like, recently. But it's, and I want to say, the, when they possess these people and they bust out of the bodies and everything, it has, like, that uh, body horror kind of thing going on. And the way the Hulk transforms now, it's just not all at once. It's, like, body parts and everything. And I feel like coming off of Al Ewing's run and then mentioning Al Ewing's run with the Green Door and then doing body horror, which I think was done better in the immortal hulk even though this is one issue it makes me want to equate this book to immortal hulk like if it was completely different then i'd be easier with it i'm not saying i don't like it but i have to give it a couple more issues because it's making me think of the really good run that was before it because they keep emulating it and mentioning it if that makes any sense i get you i do um, I'm coming from it just from a little bit of a different angle because I really liked it. And I think so much of the strength of this book is not a knock on the writer, but Nick Klein's art in this is amazing. Um, I'll even go as far as to say as the main cover of the book mm -hmm. does not do how good his art inside the book justice. Right. Um, and again, it's a nitpicky thing. I think they, the, it's colored wrong, and I don't think it's different colorists from the cover to the interior stuff, but I think his art works better with less reds and more dark purples and blacks. No, I get you, but I think that the original cover is an homage to something. Yeah, so, and that's So you fine. go with the coloring that it was, but I get what you mean. And that's fine. Um, so I... I was talking to someone online and it's something that we've talked about before um, on the show when we talk about Daredevil. And I know you um, are only aware of Daredevil written by his original creator, Mark Wade and art by Chris Samney. Yes. But you will, some would believe myself included that Daredevil has been a character for many, many years beforehand. Conspiracy and theory, but go ahead. <laughs> And what would happen is when a new creative team would leave the book and a new creative team would come on the book, the team that was leaving the book would make a big mess for the new creative team to come in and kind of fix or play with or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I mention that only because that's more or less when those things would happen, that's the way that you would get all of these stories in Daredevil to bridge together. 
Um, and you have a lot of different iconic runs, but it always comes back to whoever the creative team on there is, is going to be- go back to elements and themes from the um, run on Daredevil, which is the Frank Miller run from the 80s. Right. Not to say that there haven't been the runs on the Hulk, but the most recent the run that I think kind of knocked everyone's socks off is that Al Ewing run. Mm -hmm. And if you are going to do a Hulk book, I think you have no choice but to address that run. Even though we're already two runs since Al Ewing's run, Mm -hmm. you have to address it. Right, and when I said it was the last run, you get what I mean. I meant yeah. to say, yeah, the, the most uh, remembered run. Because right, because I think we had the Donnie Cates run in between this, and then we had like another like weird little thing where it crossed over with the Thor run. That was Donnie Cates leaving and, and Ryan Otley, the writer, taking over. Uh, yeah, and, and just kind of finishing, finish right. Yeah. So even still, even the Donnie Cates stuff addressed the stuff that was in the Al Ewing run. It didn't spin right out of it like a Daredevil run would, but it addressed the green door stuff. I think from reading the Donny Cates run, reading the Philip Kennedy Johnson run, you are going to see whoever takes over the book next. They're going to mention the green door stuff. This is now iconic stuff, part of the Hulk's mythos going forward. We're all just going to have to deal with it. Whether it's a decision on the airport or it's an editorial decision. We last week speculated about editorial decisions um, being what they were. Um, that being said, I'm okay with this current run referencing a run on the book that I love. Um, it kind of helps me ease myself in because the book definitely feels like it's going to take a different direction. Um we, as comic book people, always know that Hulk lives within Banner. Um, but I think with the new number one, the writer definitely tried his best to make a new reader believe that the Hulk and Banner might be two f- separate physical entities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was like just a little clever twist on like the Hulk-Banner relationship. And... It's been a while since the Hulk has been so closely tied to the monster side of the Marvel Universe. This is a good way to keep him away from the Avenger side of the Marvel Universe or the Defender side of the Marvel Universe or the whatever, the whatever, whatever. I don't think he's been this closely ensconced in the monster side for quite some time. I don't think it's been since, you know, the early run, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Of like, and I'm talking, you know, the 60s and 70s. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just saying it's a hurdle that my brain is going to take a, a bit, especially because of the gruesomeness of, and when I say it's, you know, comic book PG gruesome, but you get what I mean. Uh, yeah. It's just that that's immediately where my mind goes. It compares. And I would say, you know, we had Astronaut Hulk. I maybe would have liked just Hulk kind of on the run for a little bit, but that's boring. Like, just the best way to put it is, you know how DJ wants Green Lantern? I would just like him fighting, you know, just being annoyed that he's being followed by the army for a while. But that's that's me, and I, I do feel I'll come around on this book. It's not yeah. like... I, I one issue does not a series make for sure. So, so let's get over to saga 65. 
penultimate issue before they go on a bit of a hiatus, right? Mm-hmm. And we have two stories going on with this. And let me... Like, we have an A story and a B story, right? Right. Let me address the B story first. And we're going we're gonna to stay uh, spoiler-free, okay? Right. So I get what they were trying to do with the B story, with the Will and Gwendolyn and Lion Cat and the Assistant and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have the same connection to these characters yes. as I do to Hazel and Elena and our main folks, Prince Robot, etc. Mm-hmm. So I give the issue overall a B plus, yes. which is the lowest grade for an issue of Saga, I think, to date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only because I didn't the, the the B story stuff didn't ring with me as I'm sure it did with a lot of other people. Uh, on the B story, I'm yeah. with you because let's just put it like, you know, Alana and all those characters, they're in every issue regardless. For the most part, there's probably been one or, you know, a couple along the way in 65 issues where they're not, you know, in the story and they're not even the B feature. But in this, like, there is a main character uh, for the B story that I'm like, I don't think we've seen much of them and especially since the four year hiatus. So my like, you know, uh, affinity for them is lost because it's like, Oh, they've only made a couple appearances and the things that they do. That being said, you know, anytime lying cat says lying, you know, and it's an important moment. I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. But yeah, these characters, it just seems like we just got back to them. Uh, let me get acquainted with them again. But you're going right to the big, you know, penultimate finish, like you said, of the storyline. Yeah. So all of that being said, um, we get the stuff with Hazel and Prince Robot. They've gone to get more of that powder or dust or whatever it is that's supposed to bring people back to life. They interact with the sheriff guy who tells them that it's all a lie, that it doesn't really work. Uh, This is when we see Prince Robot actually show that he could talk and has been able to talk and maybe show that he's got a violent side. But the main problem is that they're away from home and Alana got the gig for all three of them to go on that ship to work in the kitchen but she needs to go and get them immediately. And the issue starts off with her going back to their tent and them not being there. So now time is of the essence and the kids are in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Now, again, we're staying spoiler free here, but I will say on one side of the coin, we do get a happy ending. But right. if reading Saga over these last nigh on and however many years if there's a happy ending at the end of the fifth issue in a six-issue collection, that means things are going to take a turn for the worst in that sixth issue. What? No. Should be all fair sailing from here on out, Joe. So, like, as everything got resolved for, you know, the A story folks um, at the end of this issue and how everything looks up for them and so forth... And I felt good reading those la- like the last page for them, right? right? But obviously they juxtapose it with what's going on in the B story stuff, and the last words on that page say an actual happy ending. 
I don't think we're going to get a happy ending in the next issue, Todd. I don't know. I'm betting on it. I, no, I get what you're saying. I'm, uh, I do like the bit with Prince Robot is of the mind that the, the fire cops, the hot, the actual hot cops, as we say, he's like, I'm pretty sure you're, you're the ones that burnt down our spaceship. And I'm like, that seems like a logical step, but Prince Robot is also, you know, jumping to conclusions. We don't know. So it, it, it opens doors that I want to see if, if, if we go anywhere, but yeah, I'm with you. This wasn't the greatest issue of saga but like you said it's you know seven thumbs up when it comes to saga so right a b plus by any other standards you know Mm -hmm. yeah uh so that's what we read from this past week let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week uh if you head over to longboxheroes.com every tuesday around noon eastern time we put up the poll post uh which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, I am currently in the lead over Todd with five correct guesses. Uh, let's see if Todd can close that gap. Right. I'm probably not. But uh, is the book you're looking forward to most Green Arrow number three? It is Green Arrow number three. Yep. Um, uh, you know, obviously we were talking about some of the, 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 um, Dawn of DC books. Some of them were hitting a little bit better than others. Your Green Lanterns, your Superman and so forth. Uh, we're Green Arrow, um, maybe not stumbled out of the blocks, but definitely in comparison to the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't hit the bullseye right out of the gate, Joe. There you go. There you go. Did not hit the bullseye right out of the gate. Um, but I, I really have, I, I like the turn that it took for issue two and I'm looking to see where things pick up here with issue three. Right. Right. And I'm going to say that that's the book that you're also most looking forward to coming out this week as well. It is. And it's a small, well, how does it like, like we have these small weeks and then these huge weeks, Joe, I would like to space them all out through the month and have equal amounts every month, every week, but so I notice, and yes, this is a ridiculously small week. Um, usually this happens when there's like the five Wednesday month, like there is upcoming in July, where you get like that one really minuscule week. Because uh, usually like a four Wednesday month, everything's kind of very evenly spread out. It just how mm-hmm. it happened this time. It's lean for me. It's lean for you. Um, I think the next two months are going to be lean just because of what DC is doing with the uh, night terrorist stuff. Yeah, I have more books than I should for Night Terrors, but yeah. Yeah, oh, we were talking about that at the uh, DJ and our retailer. We're talking about that this past week, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got less, but we'll see how it goes. Um, what was I saying, though? I was looking when I was doing the September solicitations. Right. Uh, I noticed a ton of books had their ship date as the last week of the month. Mm-hmm. In the previews catalog was the last day of the month. But when you go to the website for those publishers, whether it be Image, Dark Horse, uh, Boom, or whatever, the website uh, September solicitations have different varied dates. So I don't know if that's miscommunication. That's them hedging their bets saying, like, well, we could definitely get this September book by the end of September. But if we get it out early, then, like, you know, no one's the wiser except for the guy who goes to – you know, who triple checks his sources when he's putting his monthly list together three months in advance. Right. I know what you mean. It gets a little crazy yes. uh, with all that. So, you know, mistakes get made. Mistakes get made. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't like mistakes. No, you don't. And I want to correct myself. It's four correct guesses. I'm in the lead by four correct guesses. I want to give Todd the credit he deserves. Yes, I am a very deserving person. So, uh, so th- while you're over at LongboxHeroes.com, of course, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and our current ongoing feature. Todd and Joe have issues where we are going through the entire run of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And that's everything. The 75 issues. And this is one of the first times where we're getting into some of the ancillary material. The back matter, if you will. Uh, The scattered through the cosmos sort Mm. of things. But before we start diving into some of that, of course, we need to put the uh, final nail in the coffin of the Brief Lives saga. And this is where I turn the show over to Todd for a bit. And I just chime in and say, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, written by Neil Gaiman, art by Jim, Jill Thompson and Vince Locke. Um, we're at Orpheus's uh, temple or place of residence that he's guarded at. And he's dreaming and he's dreaming of his family, of like what they would have been if, you know, they had lived kind of a deal. And, you know, she, his wife didn't die. And he looks out and he sees the villa across the way. And he sees, you know, people moving in the garden, shooting star, which is everything we saw from last uh, week in, you know, uh, Brief Lives uh, 7 and 8. Right, I just want to kind of put the touch on there. Those four panels mm-hmm. wraps up the previous two issues. Yep. Um, so he can, you know, hear outside and hears delirium and dream talking. She wants to go in and, you know, he's like, I don't think it's a good idea. She's like, I was at his wedding. He's like, great, but the dog stays outside. And because the way it's done that Orpheus can't move his head, the bit with delirium coming into panel is absolutely brilliant. And she talks the way you would absolutely think she's like, Oh, I I remember you, you look different. Well, I just came to say, you know, I'm going away now. Goodbye. And she leaves and dream comes in and he looks a little, you know, off his game, if you will. Um, He apologizes for her. He's like, "Uh, but thank you for coming back. He says, and he's like, did you doubt that I would give you my word? Um, he's like, uh, well, how is uncle? He says, he's gone. You know, he's, he, uh, he's left this world. Um, but he's much as the same uh, as, as I suppose that you would remember him. Um, she's, he's talking, he's like, mother came to me, which was Calliope and said that, you know, gives the bit about she was in prison and you came to see, you helped her out kind of, you have changed since the old days. And I like that Sandman, just you know will not give in to the fact that he has changed or he is changing because like destruction said it all like the last couple issues and he's like i doubt it i you know well i'm here for the boon you know and when i was reading this as a young lad in the you know the 90s i had to look up boon it means a favor joe <laughs> I, I so i just want to chime in um and and just say here at the very least um where you know orpheus tells dream that he's changed since his old ways, or this since the old days. And Morpheus says, I doubt it. And then the next line of dialogue is Orpheus saying, I'm very scared. And again, subtly, subtly putting in there that Morpheus is scared of change, maybe. Um, you know, much unlike uh his son was before him, 
wasn't able to change and this was his fate and now what we'll see his fate is um you know we've had other people in the past when stuff of orpheus has come up specifically previous issues with destruction where destruction has said that the two of them morpheus and orpheus not just because their names rhyme uh remind destruction of each other right yeah um though i will say because Orpheus says again, then I'm so scared because I've prayed for death. So yes, there is the nod that it might be that his father's changed, but it's also that he's of, you know, it could be that, you know, this is, that's what he wants, you know? Um, and he does this story about how you said we would not meet again. Um, and he's like, I remember saying that, uh, and, He's like, a father, I wish, you know, it had been otherwise, but I'm ready. And Sandman, you know, takes him into his hands and kisses him on the forehead. And then I like that death doesn't show up. It's just the onk. Yes. Um, because I think her showing up and talking, and I think it's perfect for the character, too. Like, this is not my place for the family. I'm going to do my job, and I'm out of here kind of a deal. And I think that's great. And then we actually get to see morpheus with blood on his hands which is a startling like this is the very first black white and red comic joe all those other ones this is what started it but it looks really cool um that's a joke but i, I just the visual is stunning and as so walks, i i, I want to right okay so i just want to point out a couple things there um in that regard obviously we just get the panel of the onk death herself is not showing up but they i think they attempt to address that a little bit further on in the story which we'll kind of get to um i also do want to point out that we only see morpheus and again the way that he does it is in silhouette um but he puts his hand i guess into the head of orpheus Mm -hmm. and then shuts his eyes and we see him holding the head by the hair and we see him close the eyes and he only has blood on one hand, and then when he leaves, he's got blood on both. And then you were about to mention, as he's walking with the blood on his hands dripping behind him, I think, right? Right, and he's le- and it's leaving flowers as they, they that weren't there, you know what I mean? Um, uh, and he, she, Delirium's like, you did it. And he's like, that's what he wanted. And I like the line that he says, if I could have lived his life for him, sister, but what then? Which, you know, mirrors what Destiny said to, to Morpheus before he went on the final trip to, to hunt down Orpheus. Um, and she's like, but you killed him. And he's like, no, he died years ago when, you know, the, 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 the frenzy people tore, tore him to bits. And despair shows up. And she's like, no, it was... He died on the night of his wedding. You know, that's when it happened. And she's right. Which I, which I think them, um, you know, specifically uh, delirium, despair and dream having the discussion about when did Orpheus really die? Right. Mm-hmm. And these are all points in the story where death actually was there. Right. Whereas this time it wasn't so much as his death. It was more so of the resolution of a father and a son. Mm-hmm. And obviously, death has an obligation to move him to the next part of his life. But there is the debate of when did he actually die? Like, what did he live over these last thousands of years? Was that really a life? Yeah. You know, life and death, they're, you know, deep stuff. But um, it's a deep issue. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it is. It's just that's I wrap my head around it kind of a deal. Um, but despair is so you, you did see our brother. 
And he's like, Delirium's, yeah, he even gave me a doggy kind of a deal. Um, and Morpheus chimes in. He's like, you're worried about me. And I like that she w- waffles. Like, no, yes, maybe. Um, like, you need not worry. Our journey's over. All our debts are paid. And D- Despair is kind of worried about herself. He's like, did he mention me? He's like, spoke fondly of you. And Delirium says he wasn't wearing the beard. He's like, oh, I like the beard. And I like once Despair shows up. Uh, especially like Morpheus is hiding his arms with the blood. Like it's, he doesn't like kind of let her see it. Delirium sees it. But by the time she's there, he's, he has it hid and he's like, well, I'm, I'm leaving. I bid you kind of leave my leave. Um, It's, it's, it's much more, it's subtle. mm -hmm. A different comic book would make sure that there was a very deliberate panel in the book of him hiding his arms. Right. But it's just nonchalant and delirium. Thanks. De- uh, dream one last time. I don't think I could have done it on my own. And he says nothing. Like he just just fades away. And then despairs kind of laments. Like I should have went with you. Like I would have s- at least seen him once more. I I, I don't. I think I would have been able to bear it. But uh, you know, it's too late for that now. And delirium. I love. She's not coherent but uh delirium knows how to turn the screw when it's when it comes time she said you said so when i asked you you said so and i'm i'm going home um and she goes with barnabas the dog uh and despair laments that uh that the people who drew guard orpheus will be waking up and seeing what had happened to him um and she goes back to her realm and she says, I, I thought you'd be here. I picked a flower for you. And desire is there in her realm. Um, and despair basically gives the, the, the tale of what happened. And despair is like, I don't like him. He's humiliating me. He's stuffy and he's stupid. And he thinks he knows everything, but I can't help being sorry for him. Um, he was like a disaster waiting to happen. And Des- Despair says, you cannot seek destruction and return unscathed. And Des- Desire's Delirium has. He's like, Delirium has been scathed enough in her time. Love um, it. That's my panel of the issue. Yep. Um, right, right there. That s- surmises everything. Beautiful. And uh, d- and I love the way uh, Despair looks like a Nagal painting every time like in these sniffing the flower and she's like i i swore i would make him f- spill family blood and i should feel triumphant and just despairs like it wasn't of your doing it was true but it's i wanted I, what i wanted she's like so are you happy he's like no i'm scared and despairs like so am i so dream gets back to his realm and this is where they tell the story and this is one of those stories that uh, and I won't say if they ever did for people who've never read it before, but I felt like this story is or will be told at some point where he comes back and he tells the tale of the three creatures that tried to uh, take the dreaming from him and like live off the dreams. And they made the one gate that opens through that all lies come into the dreaming. And one is that all true dreams come in. And then from the eldest one, he as skull and spine, he made the helm, which is why it looks that way. We always thought it looked that way. Um, and he was kind of liked the one that he made the gate uh, for the true dreams. And he's like, maybe I kind of, was a bit too much on them 
Um, so he's back and he tells, I need to interject go ahead. and I do apologize. No, so as, I, I ramble on, but go ahead. No, it's okay. So I have a specific thing to, a, a point of interest that was brought up to me, uh, weeks ago by a listener in private and something I have to bring up here to you as well. So you're talking about the, uh, you know, the gate where the commonality of dreams go through, right? Mm-hmm. And you see some scattered people that you can't quite make out. You see like a duck or a goose or something. You see some flowers. And then you just see blatantly drawn there tasty sandwiches. Right, which are delicious. That always struck me as odd. And it struck some of our listeners odd as well. That it would just be like you. I think you could have. And there are some sandwiches that are drawn there. But I don't think we would know that they were specifically tasty unless it specifically said they were tasty. Mm, I don't know if they weren't there. They would be tasty because they were eaten, Joe. I guess. But uh, so Dream reaches out to Andros, the old man who was guarding Orpheus with his family. Um, And he tells him, you know, your time is at an end. You could stay. You could go. It's, you know, your responsibilities. I only have one thing left. Please bury my son. Leave no marker. Um, You know, so Andros is kind of nods. Now Sandman gets to the doors of his, you know, his, uh, the castle. And the one Griffin kind of says, is that you? And he's like, strange question to ask me, servant. Am I not your creator? He's just like, just for a, a moment, you know? It's like, don't trouble yourself, Griffin. Uh, you three have served me well in the past, as you shall serve me well in the future. Have I ever told you how much I appreciate your service, that I value it most highly? Sire? No matter. Carry on. And immediately the three guards are like, is he all right? Like, what is wrong with Morpheus? Right, so we get the bit there where the three guardians don't even recognize him. Mm-hmm. Not that he looks any different to us, mm-hmm. right? But obviously, something has changed. And as Morpheus is giving the final destruction instructions in his dreams to Andros, right? Um, you know, he gives him the very specific information, as you mentioned, to bury Orpheus with, you know, no marker or whatever. But then, like, the part where he says... Um, you know, when that is done, your duties are at an end. If you wish, you may stay at the temple or do whatever you may wish. Mm-hmm. That's not the Morpheus we know. He would have just dismissed them. Or left. He said, he said, your job is done. I told you to take care of my son. I'm out of here. Yep. You need to figure out your life. But for him to actually say, like... To, to say, like, give them giving them a choice is not something that Morpheus would do. Right. Or even just pondering that they have stuff they could do, mm-hmm. that they have choices, that they have, like, he wouldn't even, would never even occur to him that humans would, because even Destruction says, bef- I, I'm glad that you are coming around that humans are more than just dream stuff to you. And this is the proof, you know? Yes. It works really well. And if that doesn't drive the, you know, the point home, when he walks in, he walks into uh, Nuala, the fairy, you know, woman, and he's like, good day, are you well? And she's taken back by it. Well, you you remember a few issues earlier where she was just like on that stairwell dancing Mm -hmm. and he comes in and is just like, stop that. Yep. 
And then he just walks away and says nothing more, nothing less than just stop that. And you see, you know, her demeanor completely change. And now here it is. And, you know, time passes and whatever it is. And days, I'm sure, have gone on since that happened. And now here he is expressing interest on how she's actually doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks to her about being a fairy gift that they disappeared in convenient times. And she's like, I can't help what I, what I, you know, what I am. She's like, how'd your journeys go? He's like, they're over. That is all. I think all can be said for them. And then he kind of notices. He's like, Nuala, is that pendant around your neck? Have I seen it before? He's like, yes. And he realizes where it's from because they'll talk with her and Lucian. He's like, that's from his lover. Don't let him see it. But now he sees it. And Morpheus, especially pre-Nada Morpheus Joe. <laughs> would have lost it. He's like, ah, keep it where it is. No matter. Uh, perhaps journeyings have indeed accomplished one thing. Um, and she's like, sir, and like, do not trouble yourself. Go in peace. And it's like, maybe there's, you know, he's maybe he's starting to come around on the idea. Um, so he goes to Lucian. He says, you know, I'm back. I have my responsibility today. I don't want to be disturbed, but tomorrow full swing into this. And he goes also, um, there's a late Ishtar is on the way because her, her bro, his brother told him, tell him, give him a message. He's like, do I have to find her and give her, give her a message that I have. And then all the people who have helped me along the way, they must be subtly rewarded. And then like the aldermen and attain those who ran because of the bubble bubbling, uh, pool of water from destruction. He's like, tell them, you know, they, they might not be easy to find, but if we do tell them that everything is safe for them to come back, which I like that he's, he's, he's fixing everything that he kind of busted up in all this and paying the people that deserve to be paid. Um, uh, and I'm certain that there's much else that needs my attention, but not today, tomorrow I shall begin work, but not today. And once again, the whole time, the hands in the pockets, so you can't see anything. And I love the whiff of the jacket going through the, as the door is closing, which gives a great uh, visual of him leaving and shutting the door behind him. Right. And, you know, obviously he mentions all of these things that he has to do with his responsibilities, mm-hmm. and he kind of lays everything out. And he's like, I'm telling, telling Lucian all this stuff, but I'm not going to do it today. Mm-hmm. I need to rest. I had some big stuff go down today, but he's not telling them what happened. He's just like, I'll get, these are all the things I need to do. We're going to get to them tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So now Mervyn and Lucian are doing their library stuff. And um, he's like, is he back? And he's like, uh, yes, he is. He's like, is there more rain on the way? He's like, I don't think so. He's like, that's good. Did he, and I like Mervyn. Did, did he find the broad who dumped him? He's like, no, well figures. Um, he's like, he's not around because he snuck up on him last time. And Mervin is the everyman. It's, and I think I might've said this. And if I didn't like Neil put him in the book for whenever things kind of get out of control, like Mervin will say the things that as a person, you would kind of think it's like, Oh, he's going overboard on the ring. Like, yeah, he's hearts broke, but he doesn't need to drown us all. And Mervin is right. But this is the one time that Mervin is kind of wrong where he's like, you know, he overreacts. One little thing goes wrong and he acts like the sky is falling. You accidentally put up one little forest where he was maybe expecting a laundry room. And all of a sudden he's acting like it's a matter of life and death, real life. 
that's what guys like him never have to face up to real life. And this is the one time Mervin is dead wrong, Joe. He's got he's got it completely pegged wrong because uh, real life is what hit Sandman straight in the face this issue. Right, um, and I, I get what you're saying in regards to uh, Mervin, but I do like Mervin as the everyman is consistently wrong. Right. But uh, so Sandman goes to his room, which we haven't really seen since. Like, this is his personal area uh, where he was like lamenting that he had the key to hell. Um, and he ends up remembering uh, the talk that they had back in the after uh, Orpheus's die, uh, wife died and talking about he should have went to the funeral to say goodbye. Um, and he's like, I, I, I have not yet said goodbye to my wife. You should. You are mortal. It is the mortal way. You you attend the funeral. You bid dead farewell. You grieve. Then you continue with your life. And it is times the fact of her absence will hit you like a blow to the chest and you will weep. But this is what happens. This will happen less and less as time goes on. She is dead. You are alive. So live. And then he looks like kind of just sad. He's like, so live. And then John guessing it hit him like a blow to the chest. And he's just sitting on the chair. Such an amazing shot with like those arches and the windows, black and white looks amazing. So again, you know, Morpheus relives those moments from the Sandman special, um, as he's washing the blood of his son's death off of his hands in peace, alone, mm-hmm. and maybe reliving those moments of his own words to his son that maybe he should ta- be taking his own words mm-hmm. uh, in this current iteration of his life. Right. And now we kind of get a little epilogue where like the people that he said that need to be paid and some of them along the way, uh, because they were in the fire, some of them were in the fire. Uh, as we saw the old lady who kind of nudges delirium on the road, uh, the homeless woman, she ends up finding, you know, a bottle and she drinks through it. Remembering, uh, the little girl from the airplane, um, talks about like how her new father with the, the, the kitten is good. Danny Capax, the son of the lawyer who was the immortal, he finds all the stuff and he's like drinking, burning the stuff that could get him in trouble. But in the end, he keeps the blank passports because you never know when you need to be someone else. Uh, the cop who pulled over Delirium, who she made Matt see that he has bugs all over him, he's strapped down in a mental ward, you know, afraid to open his mouth so the and scream because the bugs might crawl in. Um, Tiffany, the, the dancer who was with Ishtar finally wrote that book that her friend was going to write. And she went on Oprah, um, which kind of seems, you know, rude, um, delirium, uh, floating in the biggest eyeball, uh, that you've ever seen in the size of a cathedral. Her thoughts are private, but she holds a red flower very, very tightly. Um, that's a nice nod. Um, and then finally, Andros is, you know, digging the grave with his kids and the kids are like, is it, it should be deeper. He's like, no, it's deep enough. And Andros, you know, puts the head in and he's thinking, you know, his time is at an end uh, for his work. And he's like, but perhaps putting uh, Orpheus here, his spirit will move into the cherry tree and in spring, new blossoms will be his and the cherries will have the 
true taste of poetry and song. And if I eat them, maybe I'll feel young again. He's like, no, Andros knows that he will not live to see the tree blossom again. And they bury the head. And he's like, it's going to be a beautiful day. And it's like a nice little nod that like it's a beautiful day for Andros. But Morpheus world is in tatters right now, Joe. Well, it's and I, I think it's, you know, such an interesting moment here at the end where, you know, Andros, you know, in the dream was given by Morpheus the, the chance to do whatever he wants now. Right. And as the story ends, Andros realizes that while he may have his life ahead of him, he ain't got much of a life left. Yep. And just like Orpheus longed to die and leave whatever this was, I'm sure Andros, as the oldest living member of this, who's seen a lot probably, but nowhere near as much as Orpheus is probably very happy that it's all finally over and he can leave this mortal plane, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. But all around, uh, such a great storyline. Hey, brief lives is pretty good, huh? Yeah. Did I ever mention that? That Sandman's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, that's almost becoming a reoccurring bit, Joe. And I know how much you love those. <laughs> I do. Um, which uh, one would you like to go on to now? Well, you know what? I think publishing order wise and at least continuity wise, um, let's go over to the uh, one that was in Vertigo preview, which is uh, Fear of Falling. Of course, new material written by Neil Gaiman with art by Kent Williams. Yep, because this book was just a tryout to show you like all the newly christened uh, uh, Vertigo books. So, you know, we got to see some pages from each of them. But the Sandman story was new, as you said. Um, and it's the story of a, a handsome young man who has a great name. His name is Todd, and he's thinking, watching TV, and he just wants to go off to sleep. And Janet shows up at his door, and they're discussing the script. And he basically says, don't worry about rehearsal tomorrow because I'm pulling out. Um, and she's like, what? And he's like, well, you know, I'm getting getting calls about this play that we're doing. And, you know, they're 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 want to talk to me on these new shows. And what's entertainment called me. And when it was over, I realized that my hands were shaking. I'm leaving because um, I'm scared. And she lays out that it's like, this isn't like an off, off, off Broadway. Yeah, it's not Broadway, but it's just off Broadway. Like, this is it. And he's like, uh, don't worry, I'm going to talk to everybody in rehearsal tomorrow why I'm doing this. And in a great, this is one of my favorite quotes in this issue. He's like, what is it you're afraid of, failing or succeeding? And he's just like, good night, Janet, you know, go away. Yeah. Um, so he falls off to sleep and he's like talking about dreams, how some dreams are different. And one of them was like him chasing a clown around, which is usually the other way around. But he says, this time I'm dreaming of climbing a mountain. And usually that doesn't make sense because I hate heights, He goes, but I'm doing it like a star with this, like finding handholds, moving up the, the thing. And I start to realize how high I am. Then I realize I'm not alone. And it's. Sandman with uh, Matthew at the top and very unique look. Kent Williams art very plays well into this. Like, especially when Todd says it's a long way down and Sandman looks at him. He's like, yes. Like that face is like so different from the faces that a lot of the art styles have been. Um, But it's really cool. Um, It's very, um, it's very different. 
but very much in the style of the book. Like, it does yes. not feel out of place, I guess would be the best way to say it. Right. Everybody has their own look for for Morpheus, and this one is no different. Um, so Todd says to Sam, and he's like, you know, uh, I, it's weird that I'm up here. I hate heights. And he asks him, he's like, hey, you interested in dreams? And Sam is like, you might say that. And um, he said, well, I had this one dream and it's kind of why I hate heights when I was uh, five or six. And I remember I was trapped in this house full of witches and I couldn't get out. And I finally, you know, got out onto the roof and I finally, you know, tumbled off. And I knew when I hit, I would die. Um, So I kind of woke up, but I didn't completely. I knew I was in between. And I knew if I went back to sleep, I would hit the ground and die. But I couldn't wake myself up either. I was trapped in a paralyzed body. I tried to make it, you know, I tried to scream, but I couldn't. And when I finally woke up, I was covered in sweat, but I was okay. And it was like the longest, scariest time I've ever spent trapped in my head. Um, Now, I just want to say this about that dream, Joe. Um, Not joking. This is, other than the roof falling off the roof, this is a dream I have had. Um... My house is set up that when you come in the front door, you go up the steps to the two bedrooms and there's a dead end left bedroom, right bedroom. Don't know why, but I remember being in the house. The dream was, and it stuck with me my whole life as a kid, that there was witches downstairs. And as long as I was upstairs in the right bedroom, I was safe. I would walk out to the, to the hallway and they would come running up the steps and I'd go back and they'd go back down. But then... I wanted to be in the other room so bad, but I knew they could get into that room and I ran into it and they came and chased me out a window and then I woke up. And so this story shakes me to the core when he talks about that dream. Even so, even so specifically as witches were involved. Yes. Yes. So creepy. So creepy. Um, and he's basically saying, I, you know, uh, I, Ever since then, I'm scared of high places. Sandman says, see, and Matthew even knows uh, that he's like, you're kind of running away from something. Um, uh, and he's like, well, what are you of, uh, scared of? He's like, I'm afraid of doing something stupid. And what if you do something stupid then? He goes, uh, and if you do something stupid, what then? He's like, aren't you scared of falling? And Sandman says, it's sometimes a mistake to climb. It's always a mistake to never even to make the attempt. Um, he's like, you're saying I should stay? I'm leaving. I've made up my mind. He says, if you do not climb, you will not fall. This is true. But is it that bad to fall, that hard to fall? Sometimes you wake and sometimes, yes, you die. But there is a third alternative. And Todd's like, what could that alternative be? And he ends up falling off the mountain and he's like screaming, no God, please. Um, I don't want to die. And he's hearing uh, Sandman's, but there's a third alternative next day at the rehearsal um, shows up and Janet's like, wait, like, I don't know if he's coming kind of a deal. And he comes in. She's like, wait, I, I, I taught, I thought he's like, we're going to talk about it later. Um, and he says, she says, you seem different today. He's like, I, a lot of things happened. I met somebody. He's like, I'd like to meet her. He's like, he, and I don't even think he's real. And she says, but he had something that he said, and it's resonating in the back of my mind. And she's like, yes. And he's like, sometimes you wake up. Sometimes the fall kills you. And sometimes when you fall, you fly. And then he's like, hey, let's just do this thing. This story is one of my favorites. 
and it, and I don't know why it always like affected me. And I love this story, Jim. It's great. Um, it's a perfect encapsulation. Uh, you know, Vertigo. You know, we, we we talked about it over on previewing the past, but things were changing where these books were being rebranded under their own imprint. It was a lot of books that were already in the DC universe, and obviously Sandman was the biggest and brightest of those, kind of carrying the line for a majority of it, as it were. And it was proven as such as that's the only one that got new material in the preview <laughs> issue. And I can't imagine somebody picking this up, seeing all the other previews of all the other books, which are fine, which are great, whatever. But reading the Sandman story and saying and not saying I need more of that yep. in my life, you know? Yep, and um, like you said, just like that was put in there to push this book. Like, yeah. how many Sandman fans were going to buy this if they knew about it? Yeah. And one last thing, to have Neil Gaiman write a seven-page story that's as good as a nine-page saga that we just finished, Joe, blows my mind. Like, there's, there's no, like, seven pages, one issue, nine issues, coming up 13 issues. Um, it's just crazy how good Neil Gaiman was as a writer. Is as a writer. I'm sorry. But, uh... So the other one that we have is... So, it's entitled Death Talks About Life. And this is another short story. Uh, as I mentioned in the write-up, it's collected pretty much anywhere and everywhere the death stuff is collected. Whether it be the trades, or whether it be the hardcovers, or what have you. Okay? Mm-hmm. And this is something... And let's say, luckily, you know, in 2023, something that's very much of its time. Yep. Um, But I definitely think, you know, if you were to give this to a teenager today or a preteen today, um, at least thematically, obviously, it's, it's specifically death talking about AIDS prevention and HIV. Yep. Okay? It's a six-issue story. Um, you know, it gives you very clear-cut facts. It's not sugarcoating anything, but it's presenting things in a way that y- you know to take these things seriously, right? Yep. Um, and we're not going to read the whole thing, of course. You know, it's only six pages. Um, but, you know, she it's very much – it's also very much in character for her yep. as well, you know? Um, you know, she talks right on the front cover of the thing. Um, it's every bit as possible that you suspect you'll be offended by any mention that human beings have things under their clothes, let alone that they do anything interesting with them. Right. Um, and then says that this comic may contain words, concepts, uh, and maybe a few images that people might find offensive. If you're one of those people, there's a simple solution. Don't read it. Just don't read it. Uh, and then says, after all, the most it could do for you is to save your life. Now, you have to bear in mind, if you did not grow up in the early 90s and you were not of a certain age in the early 90s, a lot of the stuff in regards to the way that AIDS and HIV are treated in this um, may seem foreign or strange. But it was something that was as prevalent in 1986 on television shows and movies 
as it was, you know, 1993 or 1994 when this came out, right? Right. So it was something that was huge. And we're lucky that we live in a time where HIV and AIDS is not a death sentence. Yeah, uh, it could be managed now. Back it, then, it, it wasn't, man. Right. No, they didn't know. They didn't have the, the concoct. Like, I, I call them concoctions, but you get what I mean. You mix things. You you understand better. But back then, it was, like you said, it was a death sentence. Right. And that's a lot of what this uh, is about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I do want to mention one funny bit. And again, it's a it's a PSA about safe sex and AIDS and HIV and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and death is reminiscing uh, in regards to different uh, STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, um, how they can quickly be sorted out, and then mentions, I remember when syphilis was so prevalent that having it became sort of a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. People with syphilis would stick little black f- patches on their faces to hide the marks. Pretty soon everyone was doing it. And I hearken back to a time where having syphilitic sores on your face was a badge of honor. Oh, my God. It was it literally was a different time, Joe. Yes, it Um, certainly was. So, you know, for Neil to put something like that in this, that is one thousand percent rooted in fact. Yeah, he did. And he had to read that in a book. There was no Internet back then, Joe. (laughs) Right. It was just this early series of tubes. But uh, the one thing that I do like is when you, you left the line where she's like, all, all the do the most they could do is save your life. And I like that she says life. And I don't suppose I'm the first to make this comparison. Life is a disease sexually transmitted that is invariably fatal. That's another not, like weird little look at it. But yes, it is kind of true. Uh, I like that. And I do like that uh, Constantine shows up in this to help her out. Yes. With the banana. And I like the fact that he's mortified, but she in terms says there should be nothing embarrassing about this because, you know, it could, it could save your life. Um, and you know, they go through the demonstration and I like when, when you're all done, dispose of things sensibly, and then you can eat the banana. Um, that's pretty good. Um, and I like at the end, um, she says, do what you want. You know, this could lead to a healthier life. Plus it can, you know, keep life away for you. If you don't want a kid at a young age, kind of a deal. But, uh, if you don't do this, you might not have a happier life. And if not, well, I'll be seeing you, which is obviously the whole, uh, death thing. And then in the end, they like, she ends up leaving a bunch of information that they say is on the back page. And like you said, this was a, uh, t- a product of its time, but also very much ahead of its time. Yes. At the same time, it's a it's a juggling act that they did. Well, obviously they didn't know because it's a product of its time, but very well. And the information and everything is uh, is done very well. And I I'm glad I read this in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I will say, obviously, the HIV stuff is very different, but I think that there's ideas and concepts and presentation in this that is something that should be more readily available to people who would be reading something like this, whether it be people who are young adult novel readers, whether it be people that are, you know, manga readers or, you know, people that are, you know, our age would have been in 1993, 1994 reading stuff today. 
Yeah. Um, and I know you said like the HIV stuff is different now, but the premise for it all is a good idea all around. And I, yes. you know, because they even mentioned HIV isn't the only one, you know, there are other ones, you know, and it's a good idea all around. And I do like that. They even throw in like, like she's like, and you know, it's all great. These are all good preventatives, but abstinence is really good too. And I, there's a part of me that I, that when people talk about this, they don't throw that in there. I, I know it's unrealistic at times, but I always like to have it, in the conversation but that's all for sure uh but that being said great stuff as always with sandman uh next week we're going to be reading the first two issues of the death high cost of living miniseries um it's a three issue miniseries so it's gonna be the first two issues we're gonna leave you on a cliffhanger with this <laughs> Uh, the premise of this is once every thousand years death takes mortal form and walks amongst the humans Yep. And this just happens to be one of those stories. Yep. Um, last thing on the death talks about li- life story. That was also a pamphlet, Joe. At one point, I had two 100 uh, count reams of these stories. Really? Yeah. And I kept one for myself. And I know I had the mad basis selling them for me back in the wild, wild west days of eBay, but they were going for nothing. I do not know where they are now. I would Let's have, just say, Todd, you do not want me to look that up. No, I know what they go for. I could have had like a, at least 150 copies of them. As long as you still have at least one, that's all that matters. And I oh, do collection. have one uh, myself in with my, uh, my single issues of Sandman. Right, me too. Well, breaks my heart. But anyway. All right, so last but not least, of course, we have... Um, discussion, review, what have you, of the first episode of the new Disney Plus Marvel series, Secret Invasion. Uh, it's a Nick Fury series, it's a S.H.I.E.L.D. series, and it's Scrolls. The Scrolls are ev- invading uh, the world. Nick Fury promised them in the Captain Marvel movie that they would get a new planet since they lost their planet, but it looks like they... A certain sect of the scrolls, not including Talos, uh, are on their way to put the pieces into place to make Earth their new planet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the best way to kind of go about this. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to go about this. Um I don't know. Uh, basically, like we said, you know, it kind of gets out there that uh, Maria Hill is, you know, finds out because we think who was his name? I forget. Agent Ross, you know, kind of falls, talks to an agent and he's like, oh, we got all this stuff that's happening. And then we end up finding out that Agent Ross is a scroll. Now, anybody could be a scroll. Um and Maria Hill calls down Nick Fury, and Nick Fury goes about his day as the as the wash up the washed secret agent Joe, and that's kind of what I like as the take on this is that he's not at his peak unless he's fooling us, but I don't think he's fooling us, Joe. It definitely seems like he's a little off his a uh, little off his fastball. Mm-hmm. And uh, Todd, I would have to think that the reason he's off his fastball. Uh, is the horrible beard he has to wear in this. Oh, um, you think that re- that's a real beard? You think so, Todd? 100% real. Grew How it much for you- the show. Uh, what was that? Grew it for the show. 
I've seen Samuel Jackson grow a beard in his real life, and it don't look nothing like that. Well, this is a big, thick beard, so he never got the mm. chance. Yeah, but I, I would hate Lee. I, uh, I would hate to say that this uh, ruined my enjoyment of the show because it did but, not. But I, I cannot tell you that I was not hyper focused on how bad his fake beard was the entire time. See, I kind of like the fact that his beard looks so realistic lulled me in, lulled mm. me in. But uh, I do think because, like we say, that he seems to be washed up with the realistic beard, and he's got a limp. I have a feeling his limp was when he blipped back. He got hit by a car because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was out in the road. That's what I. That's my dream booking. But so. I don't. I don't get that. That he got hit by a car with the. I think he got hurt by the blip return. But that's. I'm not saying. Well, that's that's a big crux of it. Is. That they're saying that he hasn't been the same since the blip. And we even get like him flashing back to him getting blipped away, you know? Yeah. Um, And and one would have to assume that that is definitely part of it. And that's, you know, your main story. And Samuel Jackson is a big star, so he's in this a bunch. But a lot of this is the scrolls and the scroll resistance and Talos, uh, the, the actor Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, you know, he is tasked, I'm sure, with from this episode and what we're going to see going forward, uh, a lot of the heavy lifting of this show is going to be on him. Mm-hmm. And how it revolves around his daughter being in the the sect or whatever it is of scrolls, which who are living in uh, nuclear uh, uh, power plants and stuff and radiated stuff. So they're stealing the bit from the vampires from the Marvel Universe, Joe. So I kind of that, like that. Yeah, that more recent uh, Blade story, sure. Yeah, where the 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 vampire's like, hey, we could survive in radiation. We should. Nobody's going to come to Chernobyl looking for us. So they're like, ah, well, you know, we're not going to do that with the vampires just yet. Maybe the vampires will take over for uh, the scrolls when uh, the Blade movie comes out. But I oh, I there thought, you go. I thought that was really cool. And the thing with. Uh, his when he gets abducted and he goes to the other lady who's kind of a secret agent and they kind of know each other and they have the banter back and forth but he's like basically she is dangerous don't let that fool you mm-hmm. um, but when he goes for the walk and he sees all the people on his walk because my mind goes into this that this is a scroll TV show which one of these people are the scrolls and then we find out at the end that they were all the one guy watching him that yeah. creeped me out that it wasn't one of them that the guy has been just falling around in different forms the whole time. I was like, that freaked me out more than any one of them being a scroll. Right. And you know, that's graphic is the character's name, right? Yep. Yep. He, he's the leader of the resistance. At least that we see, uh, we do see a bit where there's somebody like a shadowy person that's maybe above him that we'll get the revelation on. Um, you know, Talos, uh, ends up meeting up with his daughter, who's part of the resistance, Gaia. They have a little back and forth where this is how Gaia finds out that her mother, Talos's wife is dead, that she died at the hands of the resistance people. They swerve you, spoilers, everyone, they swerve you to make you think that she's going to help out Talos, but it's all just decoys, sending them all on a wild goose chase. So Gravik composes Nick Fury and put the bullet in uh, Maria Hill so that she can go back to singing at the mall. 
Yes. I will say this about uh, Maria Hill's character. You know how we always say when somebody schlubs somebody up that they never do like a realistic job? I'm not saying the actress who played, what's her name, Colby Summers, something like that? Colby Smolders, yes. Smolders. Well, she's she smolders in this, but I like that she has like her hair is unkempt and they don't have like a deep makeup on her and her clothes are kind of like everyday frumpy. And I'm like, yeah, it's still her, but they do it they do a good job of dressing her down as a secret agent. And I and I really like that. And I was shocked when they shot her. I hope she's still alive. But the difference be- with Nick Fury acting as washed Nick Fury and as the confident maniacal scroll, like when he- that was some like the two different looks were startling. Like when he's standing over and he's got that grin, that maniacal grin and everything. I'm like, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson could still act when he wants to, man. Yeah, not just, definitely. Just, not just that flat Nick Fury character, you know. Um, and I hope he gets a little bit more screen time in this, obviously, because he's the big star, but I think he likes being a Marvel superhero, you know? Yeah. Yeah. At uh, 70 years old, he's got nine more movies on his contract. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I liked this, uh, you know, I like that it's essentially like an espionage show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, you want to relate it to like maybe a mission impossible or a born identity type movie, but a TV show. And you know, I watch those movies, and sometimes my interest in those movies uh, waxes and wanes based on uh, the star and the supporting cast. But, like, you know, I, I like Marvel comic stuff, and I know who Nick Fury is, and I like scrolls, and, you know, it gives us a superhero up uh, on this, and we get to see how dastardly and evil the scrolls are. And we didn't talk about their plan. Their plan is essentially to frame a bunch of different countries for attacking each other. Right, to make the world burn. Yeah. Because they're immune to radiation. Right. So it's a good plan. Uh, you know, hopefully Nick Fury can, you know, we get a training montage of him becoming unwashed so he could take down the dirty scrolls. Yep, that whole beard shaving montage is going to be for you, Joe. Oh, when he peels it off and throws <laughs> it in the garbage. <laughs> Lights it on fire to fend off a scroll. Yeah. It looks but like I very, liked it, it looks like it's very flammable. Yep. But I liked it too. I'm an espionage guy. Like I've loved James Bond and that kind of stuff. And as I was watching this, I'm like, this is very that and not a, no superheroes running around yet, but we'll see. The only one was uh Rhodey shows up for a right. hot second, but you know, which will probably lead into the uh War Machine movie. What was the yeah, or War Machine movie or Armor Wars or whatever it is. I'm sure that'll kind of lean into that. But wasn't uh, Don Cheadle in um, an episode of Star Wars 2? Or am I imagining that? He probably was because they're Disney now. But I, I get confused on where all these guys... Because I, was, I, was, I forgot that Talos was the evil guy from Rogue One. No, he, that I remembered. Obviously, he's... He's one of those uh, chameleon characters, and again, pun intended with him being a scroll. Mm-hmm. but he, he's a guy, I get him by his voice. He's got a very um, recognizable voice. Yeah, well, when he was uh, slurping that drink in uh, Captain Marvel, it threw me off. 
Um, but yeah, I, I I like this. You know, we haven't seen the scrolls really pop up in anything since Captain Marvel, so it makes you kind of sort of forget about them. Um, I'm a sucker for scrolls. You know, it's called Secret Invasion. It's nothing like the Secret Invasion comic book, but it's a nice IP thing. Uh, just right. like what was it? Was it Age of Ultron and Civil War and all those things? These are recognizable, already Marvel-owned IP that we could just slap on a movie or a TV show, and you know we already own the IP for the comics, so we don't have to worry about anything there. You know, right? But like we said, you know, it's just you, I don't think you could do like everybody's like oh it's not secret invasion I'm like yeah because we don't have all the heroes that either died or went turned bad or whatever so you can have that reveal that they're all they were all trapped and scrolls took over for them but you know right we don't have the is. avengers initiative with a different avenger team in every state we don't have mm-hmm. the we don't have spider woman revealed as the scroll queen yeah. uh you know we don't have all the dead heroes that get to come back because they've been replaced by scrolls Yep, that famous Electra moment, you know what I mean, yeah. where she reverts back and she's on the table in the red. That's kind of our Agent Ross moment where it's like, oh, anybody could be a scroll, you know. So, but I'm cool with it because I think it is what it needs to be, and uh, it's only six episodes. So right, that was gonna be my next through. thing was yeah, just six issue or six issues, six episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what do we? Uh, and then uh, and so I gotta ask you. Yep. Uh, so it'll this will lead right into Good Omens, which we'll definitely be watching, right? Right. Um, what's what's our thoughts on Indiana Jones Five this weekend? I'm probably gonna go see it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking to want to see it because I'm an indie guy. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the one guy. He's the one time. He's the one of the few times you spell the indie with a Y on the end. It's that in the Indy Five Hundred, and that's it. Every else, everything else is I E. But I'm up. I'm I'm probably going to see it. if it if you want it to be like uh, Spider Verse, you don't have to go see it like I didn't see Spider Verse, and I'll give you my you know the short review of it if you want if you don't have the time. Uh, I I can't see myself going to see it. Like I said, listen, I I, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love Temple of Doom. I love Last Crusade, the best one. But go ahead. And then I have a coaster. What's that coaster? Is that Co- Crystal Skull? Crystal Skull. <sighs> Listen, we've been down this road before. Yeah. Crystal Skull would be a good movie if it wasn't an uh, uh, Indiana Jones movie. That's the problem. I don't think it's as terrible as everybody makes it out. And I love the fridge scene. I love it. Unironically. I love, I love the fridge scene, too. I hate all the Shia LaBeouf stuff. That is part of the problem. And I hate the CGI monkeys. Right. And some other stuff. But and I don't, even, I don't even mind the aliens, right? If you're going to fit it into the pulp style that these movies are supposed to be, that kind of sort of fits right in with what it could be, right? Yep. Even though I always said, because that's why uh, Lucas wrote it, he was like, because it was set in the, the time where sci-fi movies were, you know, popular. So he's like, oh, I have to have a sci-fi theme, which I think was the only mistake. I honestly think if they had went with a, because at the same time in the 50s, Westerns were popular. I think they should have went with a Native American like thing. And you could have had like Indiana Jones in the old West kind of a deal, even though it would have been modern times, but neither here nor there. 
But the, one of the biggest issues that I had with Crystal Skull was it was kind of sad seeing uh, Harrison Ford so old trying to be yep. indie. Yep. And now he's even older. And the fact that, that they had to shut down filming because he hurt his shoulder yeah, and had to get it worked on, I always felt like he did the whip scene and he blew his shoulder out. Mm-hmm. Like, legit. And I am the same way, but that being said, it is an Indiana Jones movie, There's no, and probably his last, because whatever, he's going to be too busy being the Red Hulk. Um <laughs> Uh, we'll a character that, that he knows and loves and has a lot of attachment to, yes. Right. Did you see that in the interviews when they were doing the indie interviews? Yeah. And you know how, like, Marvel pretty much, and and uh, uh, Star Wars and all that stuff, you have the NDA that, like, you can't say anything that they don't prepackage for you. And they're like, oh, so you're doing Indiana Jones, blah, blah, blah. And you're also, uh, you know, General Ross in the Thunderbolts movie. Do you turn into the Red Hulk and straight face... Harrison Ford looks at them and goes, what's a Red Hulk? And it's like, whether he doesn't know or he's he's like, they told me I can't say anything. There's a part of me that believes that Harrison Ford doesn't know what a Red Hulk is, even though he's probably playing one. Prior to 1995, I would say that uh, Harrison Ford is a good enough actor to convince us that he doesn't know what the Red Hulk is. 2023? Harrison Ford, I guarantee he has no idea what that person was talking about. Right. Though I will say, Indiana Jones is the only character he legit cares about. Um, So I do think he's not going to phone it in for Indiana Jones. He's older, but I think he's going to do a good job. Um, And I like the director. The director has done a bunch of stuff that I really like. So I actually have high hopes for this film, and I'm worried about that. But like I said, even if he wants to do another one with the writers, it'll be five, six. So I believe this is his last, last, last Indiana Jones movie. I hope so. Either way, I'll let you know next week. Yeah, he did, um, uh, you know, obviously, most notably, this guy did uh, the last two Wolverine movies. The bad one, The Wolverine, and the good one, Logan. Which is in my maybe top ten of comic book movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he did the, the, the narrative, the, you know, the theatrical whatever of the Ford versus Ferrari thing. Yep, and didn't he do 310 to Yuma? He did. Uh, he did do uh, three ten to Yuma, the the A boys finisher. Yes, <laughs> oh, uh, since this is uh, the clean show. But I'll say this: uh, Ford vs. Ferrari. The narrative is good. The documentary about it is better. Right, but I mean, yeah. you know, fictionalized is usually you know yeah. not as in depth and as fascinating. You know, right. Uh, so I don't know. I'm going to see. I'm going to run it by the family. This this may end up being one that I end up going to see by myself. You know. You should sit. You should sit, little Asa, down and run them through all because they're on Disney Plus now. Run them through. He for sure has seen uh, Last Crusade. Right, the best one. Whether or not he uh, remembers it or not is another story. I don't think his delicate constitution could handle the PG rating Temple of Doom. Right. (sighs) It's not like Toth got squished by a door, Joe. Right. Um, 
And then Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, I definitely think when Indy tells Marion not to look, I'd have to tell him to not look either. Right, but that's why. You wouldn't have to worry about, you know, make him watch Red Sonja instead. All right. I think that's the better plan. And I think uh, thank, I think that's a good plan for us to wrap the show up. How about that? Yep, yep, yep. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, this was episode 664 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.